Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to another edition of the Piano Rhapsody podcast, a podcast where you follow my journey as an amateur piano player, working my way up to playing Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue one day. Every week we dissect a piece that I encounter along the way and learn a little bit about music theory and history. Last week we finished up an entire series on preludes, spanning from Bach all the way to Ravel, from the Baroque period to post-romanticism. Today, let's start to talk a bit more about what these different eras of music actually mean, with a trip through the eras. So fire up your time machines, set the dial for the year 1600, and welcome to the Baroque period. The Baroque period spans from the years 1600 to 1750, using two events as bookends. In the year 1600, the birth of opera, and in the year 1750, the death of Johann Sebastian Bach. The word Baroque is derived from the Portuguese word Barocco, meaning a misshapen pearl, which, like the term Impressionist, was originally considered a derogatory term, referring to the overly ornate style of this era. But history does its thing, and the context of words changes over time. And now, we use the word to fondly describe the art, architecture, and music of this time period. But we're not here to talk about art or architecture. So, let's talk about Baroque music. Specifically, piano music. Hmm, well, that's going to be a short conversation. Because the piano wasn't even invented until late in the Baroque period. And it took years for the instrument to gain popularity and for composers to become adept in writing and performing music on it. So what instruments were keyboard composers writing for during this time? Well, some organ, but mostly the harpsichord. Now the major difference between a harpsichord and a piano is the mechanism by which they produce sound. A harpsichord uses a plucking mechanism of the string to make a noise when the key is depressed. Now, this works well and all, but it does not allow the player to control the volume of the sound. No matter how hard you pound the keys, it still produces the same sound. Compared to other popular instruments that Baroque composers wrote for, like the flute and the violin, the harpsichord lacked some of the ability to vary its tone and expression. So an Italian guy named Bartolomeo Cristofori decided to do something about this limitation, and he designed a keyboard instrument that, instead of plucking a string when you press a key, used tiny hammers to hit the strings. And this simple feat of engineering gave a whole new artistic license to the player, because they could now vary the volume of the sound that they produced with every finger stroke. And in a brilliant feat of historic marketing, Cristofori decided to name this musical wonder a forte piano, combining the Italian words forte, meaning strong or loud, and piano, the word for soft or quiet. So yeah, that's that's right. He basically named it a loud soft. Throughout history, people also inverted the name and called it a pianoforte. And now, of course, we have shortened it to simply piano. Which I'm happy we kept the Italian name for it. Otherwise, I'd have to say, my name is Andy, I play the quiet, and I have a podcast called 
Quiet Rhapsody. One of the major developments in music that defines the Baroque era is its reliance on the major and minor scales. Prior to this, in the Renaissance era, music freely used a variety of musical modes. For example, if you remember back a few episodes ago, we talked about how the monks used the Phrygian mode in their Gregorian chanting. But the Baroque composers were the ones who really pared down the options to major and minor keys. The best example of this is the quintessential keyboard work of the Baroque era, sometimes called the Old Testament of the keyboard, Bach's Well-Tempered Clavier, which as we've talked about before, contains a prelude and fugue pair for every major and minor key. See how things are already coming full circle and it's only February. Johann Sebastian Bach was clearly the dominating force in the Baroque era, especially when you consider keyboard music. It's not really that surprising when the era is considered over the year Bach died in 1750. Other Baroque composers that made major additions to the keyboard are George Friedrich Handel and Domenico Scarlatti, an Italian composer who wrote a whopping 555 sonatas, which would become one of the major forms of keyboard music in the upcoming classical period. Speaking of forms of music, the Baroque era was one of the first periods where secular music rivaled the popularity of religious music. Dance suites were popular compositions during this period, including cultural dances from all over Europe, Germany, Spain, France, Italy, and Ireland. Other forms of note during the Baroque period were preludes, of course, and fugues. Every aspect of human output during the Baroque era, art, architecture, music, even science, mirrored the religious belief of creation by the hand of God. In music, this expressed itself as a complex duality, exuberant expression with bursts of notes on the surface, but always tempered by an underlying intellectual control and order. This typically makes Baroque sheet music look very busy and dense on the page, but upon careful inspection and study, Every note follows a strict, rigid order. This also makes Baroque music exceptionally hard to sight-read, at least for me. Baroque music is my own personal kryptonite. But I think it's important to play and learn, as it helps both hands gain dexterity. Remember that since the harpsichord did not have the ability to vary volume to assist expression, Baroque keyboard music tends to rely on themes and counterpoint to supplement variation and musical depth. This basically means that they try to cram a lot of material into as little of a space as possible, and both hands are working equally as hard. Generally, piano playing favors the right hand, so you really have to get your left hand up to speed to execute some of the Baroque music successfully. As we revisit Bach in the future, We'll talk about this concept in greater detail. Another aspect that adds further complexity to Baroque music is the inclusion of ornamentation. Again, since the harpsichord was limited in its availability to provide depth of expression, composers utilized flourishes of notes called ornaments 
to embellish their melodic lines. A reliance on these ornaments is usually an indicator of dating a piece to this era. So let's take a look at a piece from the Baroque period and try to pick out some of these elements. To any piano students listening, throughout this series I've chosen pieces from the Royal Conservatory of Music's Level 8 series. Most of these selections will be from lesser-known composers, but I think they will stand as strong representations for the era in which they were written. Previously, we talked about how secular music rose in popularity during this era. So, let's take a look at a dance number from Johann Ludwig Krebs, titled Gig in D Major. Krebs studied the organ under Bach, and some say that his compositions are comparable to Bach. Uh, makes sense, I suppose. You hang out with the guy a lot. A gig is a dance that you might guess is derived from the English jig. It is a lively dance that usually appears as the showstopper at the end of a dance suite. They are usually written in a compound meter, which means that each beat is subdivided into a 1-2-3 triple pulse, which gives it a bouncy feel. So let's talk about meters for a second. A meter is that thing that looks like a fraction at the beginning of a piece of sheet music. The most common and basic meter is 4-4. Four, four. The top number refers to how many beats are in a measure. So in 4-4 four, four time, there are 4 beats in a measure. And the bottom number indicates what kind of note equals 1 beat. A 4 represents a quarter note. 4-4 four, four time is known as common time. And because of this, it is usually demarcated on the music with a C. It's the very basic 1, 2, 3, 4. Let me pull out my metronome and illustrate. 1, 2, 3, 4. Now this particular gig has a meter of 12, 8. So to rehash what we just talked about, the top number 12 indicates that there are 12 beats per measure, and the bottom number, 8, indicates that an eighth note equals one beat. So, while one way to count this meter would be to count from 1 to 12, that isn't quite the feel that composers usually intend when they write in 12-8. It's much easier and flowing to think of it as four triplets. 1, 2, 3, 2, 2, 3, 3, 2, 3, 4, 2, 3. So your brain should subdivide each beat into three. All right, let me pull out the metronome again. I know it's a little annoying, but... One, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three. Okay, no more of that, I promise. So let's actually take a listen to the first couple bars of this gig so you can get a feel of this 12-8 time. So it's a little bit faster than we were doing with the metronome, but it's the same idea. It's four sets of triplets in one measure. So triplet, 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 over and over and over again. And since this is the Baroque era, and we're all about order, this meter is pretty ironclad and strict. A professional should set a speed and abide by it kind of machine-like throughout a piece. 
you could probably set a metronome at the start of a performance and just let it go. But please don't do that with mine, because I could already tell you that's not going to work. <laughs> the other Baroque feature that shines through in this piece is an example of ornamentation. This piece isn't heavy on it, but there are two examples of a trill, where you'll hear a rapid back and forth between the note it's written for and the note directly above it. It's these kind of ornaments that give Baroque music its ornate, outdated sound. The way to properly execute these ornaments varies and tends to shift from editor to editor. Some publications actually provide you with a suggestion of how to play them as a footnote, but they're usually demarcated with a squiggly mark over the note. So let's have a listen to the entire Baroque dance. See if you can appreciate the controlled, triple, compound 12-8 meter, and if you can pick out the ornaments. Here is Johann Ludwig Krebs' gig in D major. So this concludes our first stop at the ornate, controlled Baroque period. It's a place that's fine for a visit, but it's not where I'd want to live. Luckily, by the time we reach our next destination, the piano will be popular. A big thank you for listening to and supporting this podcast. You can find the standalone recording of the piece discussed in this episode right in the podcast feed. If you'd like to reach out to me, 
find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to hear a steady stream of my piano recordings without my yapping, you can find all the pieces I've talked about on this podcast and more at my SoundCloud page. Next week, we say farewell to Bach and hello to Beethoven as we move forward to the classical era. Until then. <laughs>